Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. My friend Charles W. Chuck Bryan is here, too. And it's just the two of us rolling and and having some fun outdoors, making snow angels, and most importantly, making snow people, which means this is Stuff You Should Know, the Snow People Edition. That's right. Uh, and I just want to mention, if you feel a presence among us, it's because it's Emily, Emily's in the room with me. Oh, hi, Emily. Well, she can't hear you. I okay. told her she had to she had to sit there and be quiet. She's, you know, we got a sauna finally because of her lime. Oh, nice. And uh well, not the lime part, but the sauna part. Yeah, yeah, which she's she's feeling better for now, by the way, which is great news. But mm-hmm. um if you want to learn about the health benefits of the sauna, mm-hmm. go back and listen to our episode on the sauna. That was a good one. But she was going to this membership place and driving like, you know, mm-hmm. 40 minutes each way like four times a week and so we uh we broke down and got one so she is quietly sitting back there sweating isn't it like have you used it yet yeah it's so great i love it it's really nice um i do it's and it's also the solitude and just Mm -hmm. 30 minutes of uh quiet time because you you Mm -hmm. shouldn't take your phone in there and bake it out no but um does yours have bluetooth it does so I downloaded like a couple of bird song albums and nature song <laughs> albums, and I'll just uh-huh. like turn that on and attach it yeah. to the Bluetooth and just turn it real low, but it, it adds a little extra something to a sauna. Do you know what I do is I put on uh, so far uh, music for airports mm. from Brian Eno and try to not fall asleep. I could, I, I'm going to give that one a try. I'll trade you one of my bird song albums for okay. that Brian Eno album. <laughs> yeah, we'll meet in the middle and literally exchange records. <laughs> there you go. Uh, no, we'll just swap phones for a few weeks. That's right. So anyway, I have a, a hot, sweaty <laughs> wife behind me. Okay, gotcha. So speaking of hot and sweaty, we're obviously talking about snow people today, snowmen. Well, you know what you don't want to do is put a snow person in a sauna. No, you don't. But that is a recurring theme of the um, legends and tales <clears throat> of snow people, Chuck, which we'll get to later. They all melt. <laughs> they do. They're ephemeral. They're um, fleeting. And um, there's this guy who uh, wrote a book. He's a humorist and a cartoonist. His name's Bob Eckstein. And he wrote, like, the book on snowmen and snow people. It's called The History of the Snowman. And uh, he did the round. So there was, a lot, like, a lot of snow research or snowman research brings up his stuff. It's kind of impossible to avoid. But one of the reasons why it's impossible to avoid is because he actually did some, like, really good scholarship on on snow people. And one of the things that he asserts, it's probably true, is like our early ancestors had an aptitude for art. Uh, A snowman or a snow person is a pretty basic shape. And when you put those two together, there's a really good chance that humans have been making snowmen, snow people, snow whatever, for tens of thousands of years, if not longer, most likely. That's right. And I think, uh, did you, you didn't mention the Book of Hours just then, did you? No, not not yet. Yeah, that's from 1380, and that is the first known depiction of an actual in a manuscript of a snowman. That's a long time ago, and that was in the oh boy. Do you want to help me out with this? Yes, it's it's Dutch. It's a Koni Kruke. No, no, you, no yeah? the Koni Kruke <laughs> Bibliotheek. It still cracks me up after all these years. People say I'm happy to help you out with pronunciation, and we say no. Never. No, it's a part of the show. It's Koenigsegg. Uh, yeah. Okay. I looked it up. Oh, 
Very nice. So why is that J even in there? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> because the Dutch love their J's in rando places. <clears throat> but what we're saying is the Coney, whatever you said, uh, Bibliotheque in the Hague, Netherlands is where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there was, it's a snowman who was, uh, I guess you'd have to say it's anti-Semitic, mm-hmm. right? It's uh, the the traditional stacked ball snow person, and it has on a yamako. Is that how you say that? It's not a yamako. It's something else. It's like a red cap with like a oh, little ball it? on top. Yeah, but apparently it was a very Jewish cap to wear at the time. Okay, but he's sitting there, uh, back turned to the fire, mm-hmm. and then aside the snowman is text pronouncing the crucifixion of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So apparently what people think is that this was, uh, you know, Europe during the plague and they needed, they just, they needed to take their frustrations out on something. So it fell to this little Jewish snowman. Yeah. And the book of hours is a really popular Christian devotional <laughs> too. And it, um, like, I guess in every copy of this, it was illuminated. So in every copy that would have been the drawing next to that part about Jesus's crucifixion. So not the greatest start as far as like the history of snow people or snowmen, um, but it gets a little better from here on out, if you ask me. Yeah, there was one built, uh, Michelangelo was commissioned in 1494 by mm-hmm. Piero the Unfortunate of Florence. I love that name. That's going to be my new hotel check-in. <laughs> Josh pseudonym. the Unfortunate. No, Piero the Unfortunate. Oh, I like Josh the Unfortunate. No? It's a little too on the nose. Okay. It hits, uh, it hits too close to home. Oh, no. You're the fortunate. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Michelangelo was commissioned to build this giant snowman in the Medici courtyard. Uh, I guess he, he put on his monkey suit and danced and did, <laughs> for, what, for I, did what he was told. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, there's two things here. One, nobody bothered to draw or document what it looked like. We just know that Michelangelo built a snowman once, which is pretty cool. But it also, um shows like this the, during the era, this, the Renaissance, the medieval era before it, um, the, the artists actually like kind of used snow as a medium sometimes during the winter. Michelangelo wasn't the only one. That's right. And that is on evidence actually in uh, another big moment in 1511 mm-hmm. when a town in Brussels got together. And this was during what was called the winter of death. So everyone was pretty um, down and despondent or dead and dying. Right. And so they built a, they just had kind of like a snowman festival and it was called the miracle of 1511. Mm-hmm. And there were real deal artists in town that probably did some pretty great things along with uh, cynical townspeople <laughs> who did people uh, going poo poo, mm-hmm. uh, a snowboy peeing on a passed out drunk, uh, all made of snow, by the way. Right. Um, You know, body parts, anatomically correct body parts. Yeah, a lot of people having sex, but made of snow. Yeah, so they got involved, but so did the artists of the town. Yeah, like the whole town did. It was called the Miracle of 1511 because the town poet Jan Smicken wrote a poem called The Miracle of Pure Ice and Snow. So that's how it got its name. Um, and for a while, historians thought like maybe Jan Smekin had just made it up, but it, they've they've um, uh, supported that with um, journals from some people that lived in the town during the time that said this was awesome. We totally made a snow couple doing it, and everybody went bonkers for it. <laughs> uh, here in the U.S., uh, there's kind of a weird story. Well, not weird. It's sad and just odd that it's tied to snowmen, I guess. 
Um, one of the bloodiest events in our history early on was the massacre of 1690. Mm-hmm. Uh, 60 people ended up dying, 10, including 10 women and 12 children. Mm-hmm. The deal here is uh, some Frenchmen and Native Americans launched an attack on Fort uh, Schenectady. And they were about ready to give up. They had been traveling for about a week through the snow, through the Mohawk Valley. They were, you know, obviously, you know, going through the snow on a long trek like that. They were exhausted and ill, and it was really strenuous, and they were about to surrender. But when they got to the village, they saw that they had a really easy entrance and that the gate was frozen open. Mm -hmm. And as legend has it, the two guards went to go have some drinks and put snowmen as guards in their stead. Yeah, and that's the first documented snowman built in America back in 1690, which is a terrible debut as far as snow snowmen go in, in North America. Yes. Um, also, Chuck, just as a little aside, that really ties into our Salem witchcraft trial uh, episode because that's exactly the kind of thing that put the Salem villagers <coughs> on edge and, and they think led in part to the, the witch panic. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. So one other thing about the snowmen, and um, you're going to love this, but Bob Eckstein compares the snowman to um, kind of a a type of Forrest Gump. Like he just pops up at all of these like really important moments in history. Like he Mm -hmm. just happens to be there as well. With bad CG. (laughs) And one of the, um, was it bad? I mean, it was early, so yeah, it was bad. I thought it was good still. I haven't seen it in a while. But one of the uh, one of the early photographs um, that was ever taken is certainly not the first or even necessarily one of the first, but one of the earliest ones uh, was taken by a woman named Mary Dillwyn, uh, who was Welsh, and she took a picture of her parents making um, a snowman out in their yard, which is a pretty, pretty precious photograph, even though you can't really make out what's going on in it very well. Yeah, she was actually pretty interesting. She made Nita short stuff. Uh, she just got into photography uh, starting in 1845 and took all kinds of cool pictures. And uh, this was one of them about eight years in. she It's it's kind of nice. Her dad's shoveling snow. And um, I, I just love seeing those old pictures. It, it's really cool. It's like a sepia fest. Total sepia fest. I also saw that, that um, the album that she put together of photographs recently sold for 100 grand. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Maybe so, yeah. she should get a short stuff. Let's do it. So um, here's the thing. Up to this point, Chuck, snowmen, snow people have been basically like the provenance of artists. Uh, they've been used for political satire, for lowbrow copulation humor. Um, they, they've just kind of existed as a almost like a, a simulacrum to real humans, doing real human things, right? But around the time when Christmas became like a thing in the in the United States and in the UK uh, during the Victorian era, that's when the snowman finally took the shape of the snowman as we recognize them today. Like they were the, the part of winter. They were happy, jolly. They didn't have any guile. They just wanted to like just be free. They almost like they had a sense that their lives were very short and limited and they were just trying to to spread joy and happiness. The idea of a snow snowman or snow person we have today is based in that Victorian age. That's right. And maybe we should take a break there. Okay. We'll come back and talk about Christmas snow people right after this.
right. So snow men are popping up all over the place. And sometimes in some countries, and we've done plenty of uh, weird Christmas, like legends and Christmas, uh, like different weird cultural things around the world. Yeah, and we a will lot do over plenty more. Yes, and there's plenty more to come, everybody. <laughs> Ho- hopefully. <laughs> I fear one day we're going to run out of Christmas stuff. Never. We'll episodes. just start making it up and add to the Christmas legend, oh, okay? All right. Well, that's a good idea. That's some, some 2028 stuff right there. <laughs> uh, one of these legends is the... Uh, the Snegorokta. Snegorokta. I'm trying this. Snegorochka. Oh, you're going to go with the chi, the ch, ch. Yeah, well, she's Russian. Snegorochka, which was a snow maiden in Russian lore. And these stories, uh, you know, and this is one, this is where the melting starts. Um, <laughs> that was a, this, as the story goes, that she was a snow girl. Mm-hmm. She's built by an elderly couple who didn't have kids of their own. We're not able to. Mm-hmm. And so she comes to life, just like a Disney movie, mm-hmm. and becomes their daughter, essentially. And they're playing, and they're having fun. And <laughs> one of the things that they decide to do, in true Russian uh, folk legend fashion, <laughs> was, hey, let's decide to play a game where we jump over a fire mm-hmm. with our little snow daughter and of course, you know what happens. She ends up melted and gone. And in the original stories, that was that. The couple lost her forever. They knew joy for a brief time, and then they lost her and, and maybe were worse off than they had ever been before. And by the way, um, we're probably all going to starve this winter. Yes. The end, right? Um, luckily, the Russians, like the rest of the world, said, you know what? We've been a little grim for a while. Let's kind of like pep things up as we start to enter the 20th century. Um, and the Snegorochka um, kind of was revived, I guess, and was associated with uh, dead Moros, who's known as Grandpa Frost. And that is what <laughs> Santa Claus um, calls himself when he goes to Russia. Um, and he goes to Russia and he gives out presents around New Year's because he's so busy um, giving out presents in other parts of the, the world around Christmas time that in Russia, it's traditional that he gives them out around New Year's. And Snegorochka became Dead Moros's grand, uh, granddaughter, and she helps him give out presents around New Year. That's right. Uh, we also have a, a great cartoon from uh, Nazi Germany, which we'll get into in a second, but it's called Der Schneeman. The Snowman, mm-hmm. and it's a it was a ten minute short, uh, still is a ten minute short, unless they added on to it. <laughs> I didn't know about it. Have you seen it yet? I watched a little bit of it, but it, I, I couldn't man. make it through the whole thing. It is so cute. I, I didn't care for it. Oh, you didn't? Nah. Oh well, yeah, I could see not not watching it. Then if it doesn't click with you, I could see being really turned off by it. <laughs> but it's about a snowman, and again, this has uh, there's another melting coming. But a snowman <laughs> who obviously is is doing snowman things, playing outside, mm-hmm. having a good time, and then eventually uh, goes inside of a house nearby and sees a calendar of July and these pictures of summertime, mm-hmm. and thinks, "Hey, this is pretty great. I want to get I in would, on that. Yeah, I would love to see summer." And so let me let me put myself in the ice box and just wait until the right moment. And then finally, July comes around, Snowman gets out, plays around, ultimately melts, but has a good time and experiences summer and dies with a smile on his little face as it melts away. Yeah, he's singing as he melts to nothingness. Like, he's definitely fulfilled, like, his dream. It was pretty great. Um, And so, for a long time, people who had seen Der Schneeman in the U.S. and and, um, 
outside of Europe, had no idea it was a, a Nazi film, but it was directly commissioned by Joseph Goebbels um, because during the, the war, and I think Der Schneemann was, was made in 1943, a Nazi Germany was like cut off from the West, like you couldn't get anything, uh, including Disney cartoons, but they had already developed a taste for Disney cartoons. So um, he went to uh, Hans Fischerkusen. I think I nailed his name, um, which sounds like somebody that Rose Nyland would have dated on Golden Girls back in the day. But Hans Fischerkusen became known as Germany's Walt Disney, right? That's right. I feel like his name should have an umlaut, did it not? I saw K-O-E, and I took the O-E as a, like a stretched out or deconstructed umlaut. That's why I said it like that. <laughs> so you're just making up rules for the German language, basically? Yeah. <laughs> okay. They listen to me now. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, he was like the Walt Disney, and uh, you know there were he apparently he uh, did not put any propaganda in this film, even though some people say, you know what, the snowman waiting for July like that is subtext. Mm-hmm. It's basically the Germans longing to be free from the Nazi Party, but his son says, no, no, no to that. Uh, my dad was apolitical and did not make his films with a political bent. But at the very least, it does not. And clearly does not have any Nazi propaganda. And you could watch it over and over again. There's nothing um, that that seems like, you know, pro-Nazi or anything. It's just like this guy made a cartoon with uh, utterly outside of the context of the Nazi party ruling Germany and being in World War II at the time. It's really interesting. Right. It's definitely worth seeing. It's on all over YouTube. So I wonder how many people will take it like they didn't like it like you or how many people would be like, that was pretty good. Maybe you should do a poll. Let's do one of those Twitter polls or something. All right. Um, okay, so then, Chuck, everybody knows about Der Schneemann, and if they didn't, they do now. But everybody really knows, here in the States at least, about Frosty the Snowman. Have you heard of Frosty? Of course. I love the, I love that cartoon, that original cartoon, which we're going to talk about. I love that. Uh, I love Christmas, traditional Christmas music, so I love that song. So it wasn't originally a Christmas song. Did you know that? Well, you, I mean, here's my deal is I associate winter songs as Christmas songs. I'm not as picky as saying, like, they didn't say the word Christmas, so it's not <laughs> right? a Christmas song. You didn't say the magic word. It could be played around spring break if you wanted to. Yeah, I mean, I, there are pr- uh, plenty of wintertime songs that I associate as Christmas. Yeah, I guess you would never hear the original Frosty or Winter Wonderland or Jingle Bells. Those are usually the three cited as non-Christmas Christmas songs. You would never hear them after Christmas. Like, you don't play those on January 1st or 2nd. So, I guess they are Christmas songs for sure. But the point is is that they don't mention Christmas, which is why people say that. Frosty does finally mention Christmas after Rankin Bass got a hold of him and turned the song into the 1969 made-for-TV movie, though. That's right. And this song was a, was a pretty good, big hit, by the way. There were these songwriters, Steve Nelson and Jack Rollins, that realized you could make a lot of dough pretty fast by cranking out uh, you know, holiday-themed songs. Uh, they wrote Here Comes Peter Cottontail for Easter. Mm-hmm. They wrote this frosty song for Gene Autry after they saw that he had a big smash with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it, these are no-brainers. I bet these they knocked these things out in no time at all and got some pretty good cash for it. Yeah, it made it to, like, number seven on the charts, which is not, not bad at all. And I think between Rudolph and Frosty, they kicked off, like, the idea of Christmas songs in general. So there was this big um, debate over where the song took place, but apparently it's been settled now that Frosty 
The Snowman, the song, takes place in the, the town of Armonk, New York, if anybody ever asks you. Yeah, big debate meaning 18 people in Arnock, New York. Well, no, White Plains supposedly um, laid claim to it right. even tentatively, but Armonk's okay. like, we're not playing that. I think one of the one of the writers lived in Armonk for a while, and they're like, it's Armonk for sure. Uh, so that became obviously the cartoon uh, that we, you were speaking of, which was, you know, that, that still plays today. Uh, one of the Rankin-Bass cartoons. So good classic it's great there were sequels that was frosty's winter wonderland in 76 not quite as good but not bad uh they were married frosty and his wife uh crystal were married by parson brown mm-hmm. from the winter wonderland song quite a cameo and this then uh led to the stop motion rudolph and frosty's christmas in july things are kind of jumping the shark at this point i think in 79 and then frosty returns in 92 and then not to be outdone they made another one in 2005, Legend of Frosty the Snowman. Yeah, I think Frosty, as Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July was still very cute and sweet. Um, but the Frosty Returns is definitely, it jumped the shark. It's terrible. It was the early 90s. It was bad. So that's the U.S.'s claim to f- snowmen. That's the one that we all watch around um, Christmas time, the holidays. But the U.K. has their own. They said, no, no, we're not going to follow your trend. We're going to start our own. Um, and back in 1978, a guy named Raymond Briggs wrote a book. And you can't really say wrote a book because it's a wordless picture book. So I guess he drew or illustrated a book called The Snowman. And it is a very, very sweet book. And it was made into possibly an even sweeter TV adaptation that they show around the holidays every year over there. Uh, it is about a boy and a snowman. Mm-hmm. And of course, the snowman comes to life. And you know what's coming, everybody. Fun. That's right. Fun. They become buddies. <laughs> they explore all around the house. They play dress up. They ride a motorcycle. They take a flight uh, out to sea into the North Pole to meet Santa. But he melts like all other snow person stories ever. Yeah, it's... it's um. I watched it uh, the other day, and man, it'll get you right in the breadbasket. It is really sweet. Um, and apparently, originally, when they did the um, the the when they aired the TV movie starting in 1982, it was on Channel Four, which had just begun broadcasting like the month before. Um, and so they had a hit on their hands right out of the gate. But originally, there was like a live action intro. By Raymond Briggs, who's like, you know, I built a snowman when I was a kid and it inspired me to make this, so please enjoy. And um, the Brits were like, we need to get this over to America. They're going to go nuts for this. But apparently somebody at some lunch at like Spago or something like that said, no, no, no. No one knows who Raymond Briggs is. You're going to have to come up with somebody else to uh, to do the intro. And they said, who, who could do it, Chuck? Who could possibly take over from Raymond Briggs that the Americans would recognize? Uh, that would be none other than David Bowie, uh, who weirdly has a – because that and the Bing Crosby thing has an oddly yeah. large Christmas presence. I thought of that, too. Well, apparently he did this um, for his son, uh, Moon Director. <laughs> I can't remember his name right now. Uh, what is his name? I want to say Doug or Douglas, but it's not. But it's Moon Unit Bowie? Something like that. Yes, but he, he directed Moon, and he's wonderful. Duncan – is that it? 
Yes. I can't <laughs> remember. He had a different last name, though, right? Right. It's not Bowie. Yeah. Regardless, he said he did it for his son. So um, I wonder if he did the thing with Big Crosby as for his for his son as well. I bet you he did. Which, by the way, man, did you know John Lennon was famously like a terrible dad? Uh, <laughs> John Lennon was famously a terrible person. Well, I ran across um, something, I think on Quora, where somebody broke down like just what he was, you know, some of the terrible stuff he was doing as far as his son Julian alone was concerned. It was like, wow, I had no idea. Yeah, he was a complicated guy and had a really rough childhood and was a bit of a jerk mm. in general. Mm-hmm. Uh just one of those things, you know. Well, not not a good guy. So back to Bowie. <laughs> I don't want to lose the magic of this, Chuck, because Well, Bowie did the intro. Raymond Briggs was replaced with David Bowie. And this is like the nineteen eighty two Let's Dance or eighty three Let's Dance era, right? So he's got his platinum spiky blonde hair. And he does the intro basically saying, like, I was this boy, and look, I even have the scarf that the snowman gave me as proof. And then Hold let's, on a second. let's roll. Did film. you just say he had spiky hair? I mean, it During was the Let's Dance era. It was high. It was high hair, spikyish. No, no, no. That was that was uh, Ziggy Stardust era when he had the spiky no, hair. No, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. No, he had I had the mean, big like, pompadour in Let's Dance. It was a pompadour, wasn't it? Yeah, I guess it wasn't spiky. Okay, thank you for that. So he had the big Let's Dance pompadour, but it was platinum. We're agreed on that, correct? Yeah, I was just I was trying to cut off the David Bowie pedants who would email us. stop that dead in its tracks few people know this but David Bowie religiously listens to stuff you should know every (laughs) week oh did he oh that's right oh yeah I was even listening to Black Star the other day (laughs) good album it's great so um, that's the UK's version (laughs) of their own snowman it's just simply called the snowman and if you haven't seen it Go watch it because it is very uh, touching, with or without David Bowie. That's right. Uh, we have a few more touch points for the United States culturally. Mm-hmm. Um, Calvin and Hobbes, never read Calvin and Hobbes, but apparently um, Calvin was the boy or was Calvin the tiger? You're going to get us some mail for that one, buddy. Yes, Calvin was the boy. All right. I don't, if, you don't, if you don't know something, you don't know it. No, no, it's true. But the people who are into Calvin and Hobbes are like really into Calvin and Hobbes. And they're going to be like, mad Like, how at can us. you not read Calvin and Hobbes? Exactly. Those are the kind of emails we're going to get. Well, Calvin, I guess, built great snowmen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good ones. Real dark ones where like they would be run over by a train or something like that. Just good ones. There's a, people have posted like collections of all of the ones that were printed over the years. They're definitely worth checking out. Uh, there's, of course, uh, Olaf from Frozen, mm-hmm. which uh, I'm dying to know if you're the one or if you got this from somewhere else who said he is widely considered the best character in the movie. I got it from somewhere else. Really? Yeah. Who's the who best? Who said that? Who's the best? I, I don't remember one of our sources. Interesting. Who? Uh, who's the best character in the movie? Well, I mean, I think if you ask any young girl who saw Frozen, they would they would uh, say Anna or Elsa, the two lead characters. Maybe this was a from the parents' point of view. I don't know. You know, he's the. I take it you haven't seen Frozen or Frozen Two. Uh, no, I have not seen either one. It's uh, he's he's like the character that you have in every Disney movie. He is the uh, comic relief, the donkey, sort of the goon. He's the donkey. Yeah, mm-hmm. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, but, Olaf's fine. Yeah, I think people like uh, Josh Gad as well. Yeah, yeah, but I, I just uh, I thought it was funny. I don't know if anyone would consider him the best uh, character in the movie. Well, I would, and I've never <laughs> seen it. <laughs> so, oh, that was very funny. 
Um, that we also have to shout out Chuck the movie Jack Frost um, from I think 1998. Yeah, it was starring Michael Keaton as Jack Frost Snowman, who is a reincarnated reincarnated him. Yeah, I think people. You could just do yourself a favor and watch. If you have two minutes, go watch the Jack Frost trailer online. Mm-hmm. It's got every bad, dumb joke you could think of on a snowman from like his arms falling off. There's one scene where they throw snowballs at him and they land on him as, as breasts. And he goes, Oh, not for me or something like that. And rubs those (laughs) off. Uh, He, he gets shaved down to go through a skinny crevasse as he's sledding Uh goes, boy, I've really gotten thin here or something like that. Uh It's the worst thing ever. (laughs) But at the very end of this trailer, it says Jack Frost coming to theaters, blah, blah, blah. Featuring music from Hanson. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a real 98 selling point. Yeah. Uh, Hanson um, famously lobbied, uh, launched the lawsuit to have themselves taken off of that movie, but to no avail. It wouldn't surprise me because it was really bad. And Roger Ebert uh, hated this movie mm-hmm. and is uh, has a, a, a part in his book, I hated, hated, hated this movie. Yeah, he said Jack Frost could have been co-directed by Orson Welles and Steven Spielberg and still be unwatchable because of that damn snowman. The snowman gave me the creeps. Never have I disliked a movie character more. <laughs> It looks really bad. And Roger Ebert has seen a lot of movie characters, and he's saying, like, Jack Frost is the worst of them all for me. Yeah. He so might be right. You want to take another break and then come back and wrap up some some snowman stuff? Let's do it. Okay. We'll be right back, everybody. Okay, Chuck, so one of the things about snowmen, snow people, snow citizens <laughs> are that um, they are, it, like, inextricably associated with winter, right? Yes. So some people around the world have hit upon the fact that you can use a snowman as a stand-in, an effigy for winter, and that if you can get rid of a snowman in some spectacular fashion, you may also be able to symbolically banish winter in favor of being replaced by spring. And the people of Zurich, Switzerland, have done just that. They have a, a festival called Sexelauten, which sounds hotter than um, it actually is. Sexelauten uh, translates to the ringing of the six o'clock bells. That's right. And this is actually a spring festival. And it's a little bit akin to our our Groundhog Day celebration in that it signifies the end of winter. We're ready to move on. And so we're going to blow up a snowman (laughs) uh, to do so. And they load this thing up with literally 140 sticks of dynamite in its head. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's built out of cotton and straw. And it is uh, lit like a wicker man, basically, on a big pyre. And then in the time that it takes those flames to reach the dynamite and blow up, is how much uh, longer it's going to be till summer. So that's sort of the the tie into Groundhog Day. Yeah. Um, I think the faster it burns, the warmer the summer's going to be. And they're like, yay, the spring's um, here now. Um, and Gaylord, Michigan has an Alpenfest 
and they adopted this as well, but they have a slight modification where um, rather than banishing winter, uh, the townspeople write down like their problems or worries or concerns on a piece of paper, and all those get stuffed in the snowman. So when the snowman burns, their problems burn away as well, which I think is That's sweet. right. It's no 140 sticks of dynamite, but they, uh, they, they came upon something that's, that's good to you. Should we go over some world records? How could you not? How could you talk about snowmen and snow people without talking about world records? Like, this would be an incomplete episode, you know? Uh, let me see. Here's one that was pretty good. In 1999 in Bethel, Maine, they made Angus king of the mountain after Senator Angus King. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this bad boy was 113 feet tall and had real deal trees for arms and uh, car tires for buttons. Mm-hmm. That was big uh, until 2008 when they did uh, Olympia after Olympia Snow, another senator. They love their senators in Maine. Yeah, they really do. And this thing was 13 million pounds and 122 feet. And if you look at pictures of this, it's pretty impressive. Like, they said 60 people built it. I was surprised it wasn't more than a couple of hundred. Yeah, because it was apparently just about 30 feet shorter than the Statue of Liberty, the actual statue itself without the, the base. Um, which is, this is a really huge snowman, um, or snow woman, I should say, in this case. Um, and so they held, it may still hold the record. That was when? 2008? I think so. They might. Apparently, prior to that, Dartmouth College, they have a winter carnival that National Geographic once called the Mardi Gras of Winter or the North or something like that. Uh, and they used to hold the record. I think they held it as recently as 1987. Um, so it's possible that Bethel, Maine still holds the record for tallest snowman. That's wonderful. Go Mainers. And then um, for the most snowmen ever built, uh, you would just have to get in your way back machine and travel to Sapporo, Japan in 2003, where you would find 12,379 snowmen. But you'd also say, wait a minute, wait a minute, they're cheating because they're only doing two balls rather than the traditional three-balled snowman. And people would say, nope, that's how the Japanese build snowmen. Did you know that? That's right. Little two-balled snowman. I like the two-ball variety. It's very cute. Yeah. Uh, apparently, it's based, it's called the Yuki Daruma. Yuki means snow, and Daruma is a little a round uh, Japanese doll that's based on the, um, uh, what's his name, Bodhidharma, the guy who is um, alleged to have brought alleged, uh, who's thought to have brought um, Zen Buddhism from India to China and just kind of kicked off the whole thing. So that's why the Japanese make their doll or their snowman to two ball snowman. That's right. But here in the United States, we do three balls. (laughs) And the bigger, the better. And name them after your senator or else you're a commie. Uh, So if you want to build a snow person, you want to, uh, the snow's got to be just right. They're not just right. There's there's a range, but um, some snow doesn't work as well as other snow. You want good packing snow, so you want temperatures that are closer to melting point, and the snowflakes being a little little wetter helps out a lot. Yeah. So you take that packing snow, Chuck, and you uh, start with the snowball, 
and you roll it along the snow. You don't want to go too deep or else you're going to get a lot of crud, like leaves and pine straw in there. And that is just unsightly as far as a snow person is concerned. Uh, and there's this guy named Keith Martin that Martha Stewart Living interviewed. He's an ice sculptor. He said, big tip here, when you're halfway through, cut to the left or cut to the right, because then your ball is going to keep a rounder shape rather than turning into like a giant snow cigar or something like that. Yeah, that's the hardest part, I think, is uh, if you really want it super round and you don't want it to look uh, like a a cylinder, Mm -hmm. like some small rugs stacked on each other, (laughs) like uh, carpet runners, I guess. Yeah, sure. (laughs) That's what mine always ended up looking like because I didn't follow that tip. You got to alternate directions. Um, So that's a big one. And then also Martha Stewart says – that you need to you de- decorate and dress your snowman or snow person. Um, and that, quote, a pine cone still attached to its branch makes a distinguished pipe, which is a great tip. You know, Jerry's met Martha Stewart. I didn't know that. <laughs> That's right. Jerry, I think last year, I think we did something with her with a company. And Jerry actually got to go up there to her house. Oh, I remember that. Remember yeah. that? Yeah, and she like stole a vase or something and was, <laughs> no, there was a big no, no. scandal associated with it. <laughs> Don't out her. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. That's cool. She said it was just as amazing in real life as you would expect from what I remember. Yeah, she was like, it was very cluttered. <laughs> right. It's kind of messy. <laughs> so uh, one last thing. We got to end on this, okay? There's a kid site called Kidaddle, K-I-D-A-D-L. Are you going to do these? Yes, right. we are going to do these because they are wonderful. <laughs> oh, I'm not. <laughs> so there's a kid, the site Kidaddle says, don't just finish your snowman or snow woman, snow kid, snow baby even if you want to impress Chuck um, by just, you know, giving it a distinguished pipe. You got to name your snow creation as well. And don't just name him or her Frosty or Crystal, right? Um, and they came up with a big list of suggested names, and, and Chuck's going to join me here in, in trading <laughs> off these names. Oh, uh, I'm not going to read any of these because I know uh, if you build a snow person with your child, the only thing you can do is let your child name that snow person. Sure, but if your kid's like, I can't think of anything, here are some suggestions, like mistletoe jolly leaves. That's a good okay. one. What else, Chuck? I don't know. My kid would name it fart poop. The snowman. Or what about peppermint cuddle pudding? That might be my favorite. All right. Sugar Von Carols. Okay. Teddy McCole. <laughs> and then the last one is Twinkle Prance a lot. That's a great name for a snow person. That's right. So I think the moral here is if you have trouble naming your snow person, mm-hmm. uh, get online and get some suggestions from a search engine. From Kidaddle. <laughs> That's right. Are they sponsoring us or something? No, but they oh, just okay. came up with some adorable names, and I thought they deserved to be shouted out for that. So they right. are shouted out. And we should also shout out all of the other sources. Um, there were a ton of them, but they include Smithsonian, Atlas Obscura, The Farmer's Almanac, The Garden, Fairytales.biz, because there's big money in fairy tales online, uh, the Library of Congress, Song Facts, and Martha Stewart Living, and more. So thanks to all of those sources, too. And thanks to everybody, Chuck, who joined us for this great uh, holiday-themed episode on Snow People, huh? That's right. Not our Christmas episode. Nope. There will be one of those. Don't That's worry. Right. That's right. And so since Chuck said, don't worry, everybody, that means it's time for listener mail. So we're going to shout out our friends at Coed here at the end of the year. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know, Coed. Uh, the Cooperative for Education, they work to stop the cycle of poverty 
uh, through education in Guatemala. We went down to Guatemala years ago with them. They do great work, and we've been working with them ever since. And they're in the home stretch of reaching their target milestone of their Thousand Girls Initiative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last batch of students identified to start the school year in early 2022. Uh, they have the last ones, and they just need a few dozen more sponsors yes. to get past that finish line of a thousand girls sponsored to continue past the sixth grade mm-hmm. in Guatemala. That's where they are. That's what they're trying to do. Yep. So it's $80 a month to change a kid's life, as they put it. You can fully sponsor a student, or you could do half of that, $40 a month to pay for half of a student's education. And if two Stuff You Should Know listeners each chip in half, that will be one. And like you said, what they're, they're just a couple dozen short of their goal. And I think Stuff You Should Know listeners can definitely get uh, co-ed there, don't you? I definitely think so, because we have some statistics mm-hmm. from how Stuff You Should Know Army members have helped out co-ed over the years. Uh, 446 supporters have collectively raised more than $731,500. Very nice. Amazing. 29 of you have actually gone down to take that tour in Guatemala, which we highly recommend. Mm-hmm. And 122 RISE students uh, have been or are currently sponsored by members of the Stuff You Should Know Army, which is amazing. What what great work everyone is doing with co-ed and the benevolence of the Stuff You Should Know Army always means so much to us. Yep. And I think we can double, triple, quadruple that um, just hopefully with this call out because uh, I think the more people who know about co-ed and learn about co-ed, the more people who are going to want to help out. So you can go uh, find out a lot more about co-ed by just going to coeduc.org, C-O-E-D-U-C.org. Check it out and then hopefully donate or sponsor because Chuck and Josh uh, have given our seal of approval on co-ed many, many times. That's right. And if you actually want to pick out a student to sponsor, which you can do, this is these are real people, everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to cooperativeforeducation.org slash sponsor dash students. Yep. Uh, and that's it. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime to let us know how you helped out COED, again, that's cooperativeforeducation.org slash sponsor dash students. Uh, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts my iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.